Lightning Summit. Guys, let me uh, let me tell you. Everybody good? Everybody can hear me? We good to go? Did I did I did I do this thing right this time? All right, all right, awesome. Last time I was uh, this thing um, complete. He says turn mic on. Really? All right, is it on? No, it's not. Discuss. The topic is blue. All right. Uh, it says it's on, so I'm a. Uh, I'm assuming I'm good to go. Hey, there we go. I heard something different. Are we cool? Good deal. Good deal. Uh, guys, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Bell. I am the uh, minister to students at Hyman First Baptist Church in the metropolis that is Hyman, Kentucky. And uh, some of you are from Hyman. I see that. Um, uh, I have uh, I have been privileged to. Uh, Watch this church grow from from the get go. Um, uh, I was I was had the privilege to be here and uh, serve as worship leader for a while. Uh, I've known Mark for quite a bit. Uh, he and I are first cousins, and so we've kind of grown up together. We we've been forced to like each other all these years, and uh, but but he's he's a good guy, man. We're pray we pray for you guys all the time. We think what God is doing here is absolutely amazing. And uh, about a month or so ago. Mark called me up and said, uh, hey, man, I'm, uh, I'm going to be out of town, and I would love for you to come and preach on April the 19th. And I was like, cool, awesome, because we had already discussed a bunch of stuff, uh, talking about the video bumpers and all that stuff that we had to produce for these series. And, uh, and he said, we're going to be right in the middle of the Hello, My Name is uh, um, study, and I would like for you to preach one of the messages. I'm like, cool, awesome, which one? He said, I want you to preach the one on fear. And I just sat there and just kind of looked at my text for a second and then responded and said, seriously, um, I'm going to share a little bit with you about my life here in just a few minutes to kind of let you in as to why that would be my reaction. But before I do that, I do do want to uh, bring to attention a few things. Number one, We are talking about fear, and when we talk about fear, we've all got things that we're afraid of. Every single person in this room has something that you're afraid of. I decided to get online, you know, the the vast amount of knowledge that is Google, and decided to look up what some of the most common fears were amongst people. And so, most of us in this room might say that we have a fear of, anybody want to know what the top one was, what most people in the world are afraid of? Anybody want to take a guess? Somebody said it, spiders. How many of you are there? You're there, all right? Look around, we're all confessing this morning, all right? A bunch of us are afraid of spiders. And I, and I know, man, um, I know uh, sometimes, sometimes uh, you ladies, you may be in the house, and all of a sudden you look down and you see a spider, and then maybe your husband's on the other side of the house, and all of a sudden, all he hears is, ah! and then he comes running, thinking somebody has broken into this house, and somebody's attacking my wife. We run in. You're standing on the bed, and he goes, what's wrong? And you go, spider. As if if you said that louder, the spider would be like, they're onto me. <laughs> and then what happens is, uh, you know, the guy's like, are you serious? And some of you guys, you may be the ones up on the bed. I don't know. 
But then, uh, but then we're like, you know, go get the spray. You know, the stuff they put in the bottle. And so you go get the spray, you give it, uh, and then you walk in, you're getting ready to spray this thing. Your wife's like, give me that. <laughs> she walks over. And I'm convinced they don't put poison in those things. It's just scented water, all right? Because all of a sudden it's like, Ksh. that thing's not being poisoned. It's drowning, all right? So whatever you have to do, get rid of them. I'm not a fan of spiders either. Snakes is another big one on the list. Not a fan of snakes. Don't like them. I would have been just fine if God decided after the fall, let's just do away with those entirely, all right? Same way with mosquitoes, all right? There's no reason for mosquitoes to exist. Um, heights. Some of us are afraid of heights. Uh, here, here's here's uh, more, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm not really poking light at some of these because I know for some of us in this room, this may, this may be like a big deal, okay? But when we start ta- talking about things like death, all right? Death is something, death is the greatest problem that anybody on this earth will ever face, and everybody has to face it. Confined spaces, maybe uh, claustrophobic. Dogs or clowns, thank you, Stephen King. Because if you've never seen Cujo or It, don't watch them, all right? Neither one. Dolls, dolls may be the creepiest thing on the face of the planet. Can I, yeah, I was getting ready to say, please, somebody amen that, all right? Dolls might be the creepiest things on the face of the planet. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of the sight of blood, uh, public speaking. If you're a, if you're a preacher, you, you might need to overcome that one. Afraid of the dark, afraid of needles, afraid of flying, even afraid of germs, there's so many things that we can put on this list and say, okay, I have these certain types of fears. But, but what I want to talk to you about this morning, when we talk about being labeled by fear, it's not just something that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid of a spider or I'm afraid of snakes. And like I said, some people, it may be uh, so intense that you might really start to panic whenever you see those things. But when I'm talking about being labeled by fear, I'm talking about when fear gets to the point in your life that it paralyzes you spiritually, it paralyzes you emotionally, it debilitates you, it literally takes control of who you are. And when you begin to fear in this way, then it makes you do things that you normally wouldn't do, and it keeps you from doing the things that you normally would do. And some of you are here in this room, and let me tell you something, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm going to share that with you in just a little bit, but I understand what it's like to all of a sudden have something happen, have something trigger the spirit of fear in your life, and then the only thing that you want to do for days on end is go home, lie in your bed, and cry. I understand that feeling when the only feeling of relief that you feel you have is when you can finally go to sleep at night, but then you wake up the next morning and you just feel it crawl on you. And your entire day is ruined already and you've not even gotten out of bed. You see, back in about 2008, my, my daughter was born, my wife and I began to have a family. I can't tell you exactly what started to trigger this in my life, but in 2008, I began a very intense struggle with fear, worry, anxiety, and depression. And I, I've, I've often looked back through church history and seen you know, all these great men of God over the years, and uh, especially, specifically guys who like wrote hymns and stuff like that that we sing, and apparently like, 
anxiety and depression was like a prerequisite for writing hymns, apparently. But in 2008, I began a really intense struggle with this, and specifically for me, if we were to look at this list, and some of you may have others, for me, my struggle came in the idea of dying, not what was going to happen to me when I die, but maybe how I was going to die or when that was going to take place, because at the time, I was like, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I loved life, and I still do love life. I love life today, okay? Yay. Yay, life. But I also realized that in the midst of all of that, that I started thinking to myself, if anything ever happens to me, then what's going to happen to my family? If anything ever happens to me, then I'm going to be separated from them. I'm going to be separated from the things that I love, from, from, the, uh, from the goals and dreams that maybe I've had in my life. And the future began to really scare me to the point to where when I began to have you know, physical problems of some sort, I could have a stomachache and I would immediately go to the doctor. I could have a headache and want to go get checked out. I almost became, or maybe did become, I don't, I don't know how you get to the point where you really diagnose that, but I almost became a hypochondriac. I was actually diagnosed as having generalized anxiety disorder. With all of that being said, years passed. Today, I will tell you this. Today, there is freedom from that fear And the freedom from that fear is found in nowhere but Jesus Christ. But I will also tell you this. That is a fight every single day. It was a fight this morning before I got here. This past February, my entire month was a fight because something had happened the night of February, I think it was like February the 3rd, that triggered this spirit of fear. And the entire month, I ended up, I mean, you get to that point where you're, where you're struggling with fear, and, and some of you, a lot of you in here have no idea what this is like. Some of you in here do. You begin to, you be, something triggers this spirit of fear in your life, and then all of a sudden, you cannot function the way you would normally function. All of a sudden, those closest to you, they know when it happens. They know immediately. You don't have to say anything. You walk into the room and they say, what's wrong? And then all of a sudden, I start losing weight, not in the good way. All of this stuff goes on in my life and it gets me to the point to where, and I'll talk about this here in just a second, if there's anything that I've learned from fear, it's that, I've learned how much I love my life. And I've learned how much I don't trust God with it. If fear has taught me anything, it's taught me how much I love my own life and how much I do not trust God with it. Now, I'm not going to leave you there. We're going to expand upon that in a little bit. But, but let's just take the, this idea of fearing death for a second because some of you may be in this room and you may be out there with me. I don't know. A guy by the name of John Piper one of my favorite preachers of all time, he said this. He says, death is fearful only to the degree that it threatens to rob you of what you value most. All right? Now keep in mind what Jesus has said already. Jesus has already, Jesus has told us that if anyone would come after me, he must 
deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If anyone comes after me, he must hate his father, mother, brother, sister, children, even his own life. Now that doesn't, Jesus wasn't saying, uh, you should write your mom and dad a letter and say, mom and dad, I've always hated you. In fact, I found out it was biblical. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, you need to value me. You need to follow me. You need to love me, that is Jesus, more so than anyone else that in comparison, it looks like you hate everyone else compared to how much you love Christ. And Jesus said, you need to hate even your own life, and then you can follow me. Why? Because he said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels, there's where you will find it. There's where you find true freedom. There's where you find true peace. There's where you find true joy in the midst of those fears. But Piper said, death is fearful only to the degree that it threatens to rob you of what you value most. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 said a very, very radical statement. And a lot of us know it. He says, for me, to live is Christ, but what? To die is is gain. Now that is an insane statement, and I'll tell you why. There is only one way you can say that and it be true. Only one way. There is only one way you can say that and it makes sense. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And that's this. If death is fearful only to the degree that it threatens to rob you of what you value most, then there must be something on the other side of death that you value more than anything in this life. That is the only way that statement makes sense. If you value your family more than anything else in this life, you will fear death because death will rob you of your family. If you value your life more than anything else, you will fear death because death will rob you of your very existence in this life. If you value money, material possessions more than anything else, you will fear death. Why money will rob you of the, uh, death will rob you of those things. Paul valued Jesus Christ more than anything else. And when he lived, he lived for the glory of Jesus Christ. And when he died, death threw him into Jesus' arms. What do you fear at that point? The worst thing that somebody could do to the apostle Paul is to take his life. And the moment they took his life, they literally threw him into the arms of his Savior for all eternity. That's easy to say, but for those of us who have that struggle of fear, that is a battle to remind ourselves of that every single day. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, and that's where I want to take us this morning. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to, we're going to get into this, and we won't be here very long. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is writing from prison. He is writing from prison where he is about to be martyred for spreading the gospel. At this time, the emperor Nero had set, uh, set fire to the city of Rome and he was blaming it on the Christians. This was not a good day to be a believer as far as persecution is concerned. It was intensifying. And Timothy was now one of the leaders of this church. And he looked at Timothy and he says this, when everybody else has deserted you because a bunch of Paul's friends had left him because they were afraid. Because they were afraid their fate was going to be the same as Paul's. And Paul looks at Timothy and he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he has given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. 
And I believe, guys, that this verse, along with so many other verses of Scripture, but I believe that this verse is instrumental, that if you're here this morning and you would say, I'm labeled by fear, I believe this verse is instrumental in you overcoming that because it's realizing what God has given you and what he's not given you. The spirit you've been given is not of God, the spirit of fear. But the spirit that you've been given that is of God is one of power, love, and a sound mind. So let's have a word of prayer real quick, and we'll dive into this this morning. Father, thank you for the time you've given us, and I pray, Father, that right now in this moment, God, that you would reveal to us your truth, you would comfort our hearts, God, and you would let us know that in the midst of this chaotic world that we live in, God, that you are with us and you will never leave us. God, help our confidence not to be in ourselves and our own ability to try to work ourselves out of this struggle, but let our confidence be in you and you alone, knowing that you sustain us through it, knowing that you've given us the power to overcome it, So, Father, reveal to us more of the spirit you've given us this morning. Because you've given it to us in full. It is ours to possess because we are in Christ. Help us to understand it and help us to walk in the spirit. Father, may every word that comes from my mouth come directly from the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Let it be nothing in and of myself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been growing up in church at all, all right, If you're here, um, I know a lot of you have, and a lot of you, when somebody got started, man, that was the first time you've been in church in probably forever. But if you have been in church growing up, you might remember a little prayer that uh, a lot of churches used when you were praying for your food, maybe around mission friends time or something like that. And it always started out with two truths about God. I wonder who knows. God is great and God is good. Those two things. Now, when I say that God is great, I don't mean, hey, that's pretty neat. That's awesome. That's swell. Here's the deal. God is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But when I mean God is great, we're, we're dealing with a whole different spectrum of great here, okay? For God to be great, I want you to imagine a king. I want you to imagine a king to be great. And the king has power and he has authority. He is in full sovereign control. That's what we mean by greatness, When God is great, we say that he is in complete control and there is nothing that will ever happen to us that catches him by surprise. Nothing. That's what I mean when I say God is great. When we pray that as a little kid, that's what we're supposed to mean, that God is great. And when we mean that God is good, we mean exactly that. We mean that as Romans tells us, that all things work together for the good for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. We mean, as Jeremiah 29 tells us, that the Lord knows the plans that he has for us, plans for our good and not for harm, plans to give us a hope and a future. Every fear you will ever have, the ultimate goal of that fear is to do this, to make you forget that God is great and God is good. You think about that for a second. Those of you in this room who struggle with fear, you feel like you're labeled by fear. You think about that for a second and tell me I'm wrong. Every single time that you struggle with fear, you are tempted to forget that God is great, that he's in control. You're tempted to forget that he's in control and then you begin not to trust him because you think I have to gain control of this myself. But the reality is God is still in control of it. We're tempted to forget that he's great and we're tempted to forget he's good because we can look at our circumstances, we can look at our surroundings and say, God, how can this be good? 
Fear makes us not trust God. Fear makes us stop believing that God is great. It makes us stop believing that God is good. That is its ultimate goal. It is to absolutely destroy you. So now here's the deal. How can we be free from fear? That's the question that we're asking this morning. We've already looked at uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. I want you to just kind of stay there with me. We're, uh, we won't be going too far from that. I'll, I'll throw some other scripture out there here in a bit. If they, if they throw them up on the screen, that's awesome. If not, no big deal. But right here is where I want you to kind of stay. I want your focus to be here. Because what has God not given us? He's not given us a spirit of fear. We know that. And so what can that tell you this morning? It can tell you that this spirit of fear that you struggle with, you can be assured of one thing right now. It is not from your Father. It is not from your heavenly Father. It is not from Christ. It is not from him. And that should comfort us. That should comfort us knowing that what it is that I struggle with, this fear, is not from God. Because God is not going to give you something that's going to make you doubt his goodness and his his greatness. He doesn't want you to doubt his greatness. He doesn't want you to doubt his goodness. So it would make no sense whatsoever for him to give you a spirit of fear. So Paul tells Timothy, this, the, the spirit of fear that you're having is not from God. In, in the Bible, I think this is really, really cool. Ready? In the Bible, God tells his people, do not fear, approximately 365 times. And when you start thinking about how many days in a year, that gets pretty, that gets pretty crazy at that point. He tells them, do not fear. But here's here's the part of that that I love. Aside from the fact that that we hear do not fear in the Bible so often, most of the time, when God says to his people, do not fear, he gives them the reason why. And what is that reason? I am with you. I'm with you. I'm going to give you some examples of this real quick. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9 says, have I not commanded you? He's speaking to Joshua the leader of this, the great army of Israel, be, uh, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, verse four, we all kind of know it because we've heard it so much. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, and one of the verses that has brought me so much comfort over my own struggle with this, is Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Listen to this verse. The first part of the verse says, fear not, for I am with you. Now, it would be really cool if he just stopped right there. That'd be fine. But he doesn't. He goes on to explain what it's like that he's with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It, it, it makes you think of that, uh, that whole uh, Footprints poem, if, you, if you're familiar with that. This guy's walking along, he, he's at the end of his life, he's standing there with God, he looks back on his life and he sees this set of footprints on the beach. Every time that he walks, in, and, and uh, he sees two sets of footprints that the Lord's walking with him, and then he notices when he's looking down the scope of his life at his hardest times, the times where he struggled the most, the times where he was afraid the most, all of a sudden there was one set of footprints. And then he looks to Jesus and says, where were you then? Where were you then at the darkest times of my life when I felt like I was at the bottom of the barrel and nobody cared and I wanted to just end everything? Where were you then? Jesus looks at him and says, it is then that you were too tired to walk and I was carrying you. Those are my footprints. 
He's not given you a spirit of fear, but the spirit he has given you is one of power, one of love, and one of a sound mind. And he's with us wherever we go. We talk about the spirit of power. I am a child of the 80s, okay? Any more children of the 80s in the crowd? You got, you got, we got 80s folk. All right, awesome. Growing up in the 80s, uh, quite possibly, aside from like Transformers and G.I. Joe, um, for the guys, there was one really popular cartoon for the guys. They even created a girl's version of it that was a spinoff, and that's He-Man, all right? Now, some of you are following me here. They even did a horrible live-action movie starring Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, all right? And after you've seen Dolph Lundgren and Rocky, all you, can, all you can picture is him raising his sword going, I must break you, you know? And so He-Man, uh, Prince Adam was his real name. It's kind of like a Clark Kent Superman thing. Prince Adam was his real name. Prince Adam wore this really obnoxiously tight pink shirt everywhere he went. And you could see his abs through his collared shirt. It was just crazy. He was stacked. And then when trouble arose, he would sneak off somewhere, raise his sword and say, by the power of Skull," and he would turn into He-Man. Ricky knows exactly what I'm talking about. Ricky even, he used to pretend to do that all the time in his backyard, you know? But here's what happens. Nobody knew who he was when he became He-Man all of a sudden. And all the guy did was take three-fourths of his clothes off and get a spray tan. That is all he did. So if you're looking to apparently disguise yourself, all you got to do is get a spray tan and walk outside in your underwear, and nobody's going to know who you are. See, this power from He-Man, the power that he possessed came from this sword he possessed. It wasn't the power in and of himself, even though the guy was just ripped, all right? The power came from what he possessed, but unless we understand what it is we possess, we're never going to benefit from this. Unless we understand the power of what it is that we have that has been given to us, then it's not going to do us any good whatsoever. God has given you a spirit of power. And it's not a power that comes from ourselves. It comes from him. What happens to us is we get scared, we look to the future, we freak out. Why? Because we're not in control. We're not powerful enough. Well, the world says, well, you can overcome fear um, by by building up your self-confidence. That's a great thought. It is. I hate, to, I hate to fly. I love it and hate it, all right? I love the fact that I can get from one end of the country to the other in about four hours. That's, that's amazing to me, all right? The fact that man can fly is an amazing thing. Not literally. Nobody go out of here and jump off your roof, all right? But at the same time, anytime that I get on a plane, I'm always fearful because I know that it doesn't matter how much self-confidence that I have, my self-confidence is not keeping that plane in the air, all right? What's keeping that plane in the air is the sovereign hand of God. That's what keeps the plane in the air. It's not about my self-confidence, so I can't rely on my own ability to muster up within myself courage. I can't rely on my ability to overcome fear in and of myself. Paul does not point Timothy to Timothy. He doesn't point Timothy to say, you got this, man. You can do this. You can do it, you know? You've got this. You can do it yourself. You can come up with, the, with the, uh, the attitude that you need to have, the self-confidence. It's all in you. No, he doesn't do that. He points him to Christ. He points him to God. He points him to the spirit that has been given to him by God and not himself. 
And what you've been given is a spirit of, fa- of power that helps you to overcome fear. Second of all, we have the spirit of love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, what does it do? It casts out fear. So the spirit of power enables us to overcome the fear that's in our lives. The spirit of love enables us to cast out the fear that's in our lives. We overcome it, then we cast it out. How does this work? Love is the enemy of fear, man. Love is self-giving while fear is self-protecting. Love moves toward others while fear shrinks away from them. If you're struggling with fear, the last thing you want to do is be around anybody. You want to be alone. You want to be with your thoughts, even though your thoughts are probably the worst place you could be. You just don't want to be around anybody. Love says serve others. Fear says serve yourself. How much does love cast out fear? Let's look at this as an example in real life. Let's suppose for a second that a, that a mother is terrified of water. I mean, she looks at water and she about has a panic attack. And then all of a sudden she looks around and her baby just fell in and now her baby is drowning. You know what happens in that moment? That fear is gone. And she dives in head first. Because of the love that she has for her child, she is compelled to serve her child. She is compelled to save her child, and in doing so, her fear is gone. Love casts out fear. When you are fearful, you know what one of the best things that you can do is? Serve somebody. When you are fearful, the best thing you can do is look where somebody else has a need and go meet it. Because what's happening is you're taking all the attention that's in your mind, everything that you're doing, you're taking that attention off of yourself, and you're putting it somewhere else. Because a lot of our fear, a lot of our struggle with fear is in the reality that we are very self-focused in those moments. And somebody may have said this to you before, and if you're, there was a time where somebody would look at me and say, you know what, you're very self-centered. I was like, how in the world, if I'm fearful, am I supposed to be considered self-centered? Let me tell you something. Remember what I learned from fear? Is that as I learned how much I love my life and how much I don't trust God with it. Because we want to be in control so bad, but the reality is we're not. And when the intention is all toward us, because that's what fear does, we might be afraid of losing someone else, but we're focused on our feelings about losing them and not about what they're going through. And so our fear comes face to face with us and our attention is on ourselves. The reality is that when we're fearful, here's just the blunt truth of it, we're selfish. We are. And I don't speak... I don't speak to you like that from somebody who has not been there. I speak to you like that because somebody who's been right in the middle of that and I realize that's the truth. And our attention should be on others. It should be on loving others. We should be thinking about the love that God has for us. And let me tell you something, guys. When you think about the love, the great love that God has for us, that should produce in us a great love for him and for other people. Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39 says, for I am persuaded, this is Paul writing again, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, the future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, just in case he left anything out. Basically, Paul is listing everything that could ever make you fearful, everything that could ever freak you out and seek to destroy your life. You know what he says? All of that will never be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
All of it. Not a thing will be able to separate you from the love of God. We have a spirit of power to overcome the fear in our life. We have then been given the spirit of love to cast that fear out of our life. And then he gives us the spirit of a sound mind, which enables us to resist the fear from coming back in. This is how this breaks down. The spirit of a sound mind, fear produces confusion. It produces chaos in the mind, and that's where it does its most dangerous work. If you've ever talked to someone, if you've ever sat down and talked to them, uh, when they're struggling with fear, you'll realize very, very quickly that they struggle with some pretty, um, some pretty irrational thoughts. But to them, I'll go ahead and warn you, to them, they are completely rational. Completely rational. And there's not much that you can necessarily say that would convince them otherwise. What has to happen for us, if we are in that moment and we are fearful and we are experiencing such irrational thoughts like, oh, I got a pain in my stomach, I'm, a parent, I'm gonna die. Or, or this plane went down today, that means the plane I get on tomorrow is definitely going down. We, you know, we get, we get kind of irrational thoughts like that. Or for instance, let's go, let's go another route with that. You might be here and you struggle with the fear of talking to somebody just about Jesus. And you think, well, if I talk to this person, then, then they're going to punch me in the face or they're going to hate me or they're never going to do this. A lot of that is irrational thoughts. You would be, and I'm not saying that someone won't be uh, offended by it or something like that. That might be the case. But what happens with us when we struggle with fear, we already make out the outcome. We already determine what's going to happen, even though we're not all-knowing. We already determine in our minds what's going to take place, and so we don't act upon anything in faith. The spirit of a sound mind, these um, irrational thoughts, what has to happen is if you are in that moment and you are thinking irrationally, and someone looks at you, if you're in that moment, one of the worst things anybody could say to you is just get over it. It's one of the worst things ever, because that just makes you mad at that point. But what needs to happen, I'm not saying you need to get over it, but I am saying you need to stop. I'm not saying get over it, I'm saying stop. And what do I want you to do when you stop? I want you to pray. Because let me tell you something, Satan will absolutely never tempt you to pray. He will never tempt you to read the word of God. Why? Because he knows that's where truth lies, he knows that's where freedom is, and he wants you to keep you as far away from that as possible. Your freedom, your joy, your peace is found in the person of Jesus, in the very word of God, and through prayer and communicating with him. So when you are at those moments where you are thinking irrational, you stop. You stop. In, in fact, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You take every thought captive, you stop, you take that thought, you make it obedient to Christ, you dive in the word, you, you start praying, and then you start reminding yourself of what fear wants you to forget, that God is great and God is good, and he never changes. The world will tell you, you protect yourself at all costs. Well, what, what happens there? I'll tell, you how, I'll tell you what that looks like, all right? If you protect yourself at all costs, that means you're going to sit down and you're going to start building these walls on all four sides. And you're going you're to cover yourself in. And though you may 
feel like you are protected from your fear. What you have created is a prison for yourself. And inside those walls, there is no peace, there is no joy, there is no happiness in the midst of that. Because we've built these walls, these perimeters around us. But what happens when people who trust in God in the midst of their fears step out in faith? What happens at that point? They find freedom. Why? Because their mind is stayed on Christ and not their fear. One of the most impactful verses in all of Scripture that has helped me in the midst of struggle. And, and let me tell you something, guys. Even though that, there, that, that I do believe that I have experienced the freedom of Christ from this, that doesn't mean that I'm never tempted to go back there. That doesn't mean that I never have to resist because part of having a sound mind, it means you resist fear from coming back in. And there are moments, there are times in my days, like this past February, where I caved. But we still have to fight. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with irrational thoughts, if you struggle with trying to fight to obtain a sound mind, I want you to write down Isaiah 26 and verse 3. If you know somebody who does, I want you to write down Isaiah 26 and verse 3 because it says this, speaking to God, it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And what does he trust? He trusts that you are great and that you are good. You've not been given a spirit of fear. You don't have to be labeled by fear any longer. If you are a Christian, God has given you the spirit of power which enables you to overcome the fear. He's given you a spirit of love which enables you to cast out that fear and he's given you a spirit of a sound mind which enables you to resist that fear. So God's saying, trust me. Trust that I'm great. Trust that I'm good. And I love you. Let's bow our heads together if you would. We're getting ready to close things out this morning. But as we do, I, I just want to, just, just for a second here, starting out right here, I know we've got some leaders who are probably going to make their way around, maybe make their way to the back to be able to receive people. That, that's awesome. You, you guys do what you have to do at this moment. But, but I want to first of all talk to you. If you're here in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, but you would say, Stephen, that is where I'm at. I struggle with fear and I've had the hardest time in my life overcoming it. And I just want you to know, if it would be cool, could I, could I get the lights up just a second so just, just so I could see just for a little bit? And I just want to know that somebody's praying for me. Can I get them up a little bit more? Still can't see anybody. I just want to know that somebody's praying for me. If you would, can you just slip your hand up right where you are? Okay. 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 
Man, let me tell you something. There's a lot of us in this room, guys. And, that, and see, the problem with a lot of people in, in, this, in this situation that struggle with this fear is because it is very easy for our fear to convince us that we are the only one in that boat. It is very easy for us to get to the point to where we think to ourselves, nobody else knows what I'm going through. The reality is people in this room do. And don't be afraid to reach out to people, man. Don't be afraid to let people know, look, this is where I'm struggling and I need you to pray for me. That's what being the church is about, man. We, we lift each other up and we encourage one another. We, we spur each other on to be more like Jesus. We help people in the midst of their struggle. So thank you for being bold enough to raise your hand. And I don't know who a lot of you are. But I know what you're going through. Maybe not all the specifics, but I know what those feelings feel like. And I just want you to know that in the midst of it, God is with you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and maybe you've been trying to do this whole life thing yourself for so long, and it's just not working out, man. And you want to know that there's purpose in life. You want to know that there's freedom from sin. You want to know that there is a reason for you to be alive, and there's a reason for you to go to bed at night, and that all of this doesn't happen just by chance. Let me tell you something, man. There is a God who loves you. And he loves you so much that he demonstrated it like this, that he sent his son in the likeness of sinful man. Now, now let me stop right there for a second because the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. We've all said something, done something, thought something that goes against God's holy standard of what is right. And because of that, we deserve to die because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he sacrificed himself on the cross, and when his blood was shed and when he died, because in order for sin to be forgiven, there had to be the shedding of blood, when he died on the cross, every ounce of the wrath of God toward you as a sinner and toward me as a sinner, Jesus filled that cup up with the wrath of God. He drank the cup. He slammed it down and said, it is finished. And now on the cross, God's wrath is satisfied against our sin. Jesus Christ has taken the punishment for ourselves so that we who through faith in him, believing that God sent him, believing that he died for us, believing that he rose again from the dead, we can be saved. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian based on what I just said and nothing else, if you are not a Christian, if you have never been forgiven of your sins and confessed Christ as Lord of your life, then back here in the back, we've got some people who would love to receive you and talk to you and encourage you in a new walk with Jesus. And so if that's you, I'm not, I'm not gonna do anything other than just tell you, there they are. Right now, Go. At this moment, I'm not counting you down. I'm not giving you the cue. I'm just saying, go. Don't sit there. If you want Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go. And they're waiting to receive you.
our Father. God, I thank you that you refuse to leave us alone even though at times we may want you to. God, I thank you that in the midst of our fear, you are ever present. Father, reveal to us more of the spirit you have placed within us, the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind that we might overcome, cast out, and resist fear, that we might trust that you are great, that we might trust that you are good, and we might live this life with Jesus Christ as our most valuable treasure, that we would be willing to lose everything, even our own lives, and follow hard after you. Father, teach us more. Teach me more about that every single day. Teach me how to trust you more. That I may, find, that I may be found to be more like Christ. Bless those here this morning, Father, who have raised their hands, indicating, Father, that this too is their label, what they think is their label anyway, Father. This too is their struggle. But the reality is, Father, because of what you've given us, we do not, as, as, as Christians, we do not have the right to be labeled by fear. So, Father, reveal to us freedom as we pray, as we read your word, that we might walk in the newness of life that is found in Jesus, and we might help others along the way. We thank you, God. We love you. Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. You're, <laughs> You're dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.
said 